Part 4. On the Nose Facing the Facts Lung Po showed much compassion for the difficulties of his Western disciples, but he could also tease them when they became self-indulgent. On one occasion, he mimed wiping imaginary tears from his eyes and saying tragically, He's my father, I'm his son, before chuckling and shaking his head. The performance left a deep impression on Venerable Varabanyo, for whom it was an example of the way Lung Po saw through the self-important attitude that Westerners are especially prone to, how it needlessly glorifies and increases suffering. Ajahn Santachito recalled being part of a group of monks helping to bathe Lung Po. As our many hands lathered his limbs and torso, he said to me, Santachito, did you ever bathe your father in this way? Though I learnt sometimes the hard way, not to take this kind of question at face value, I followed what seemed to be a safe path and referred to the differences in culture to explain why I never had. Then he said, that's why the practice is so difficult for you. His simple words hit me very hard. Many of Lung Po's most memorable teachings involved putting monks in positions where they were brought face to face with their defilements and had no choice but to let them go. The reactions to praise and blame were a fertile ground for such instruction. Ajahn Viradamo spent his first rains retreat at a branch monastery and, while he was there, memorized the Patimoka. Chanted at speed, the text takes some 45 minutes to recite and learning it by heart is a formidable undertaking. He returned to Wat Pong at the end of the year with a sense of accomplishment. But being a young monk, he assumed it would be a long time before he would be given the honour of reciting the text alone in the midst of the whole Wat Pong Sangha. He recounts, Lung Po light-heartedly asked if I would chant the Patimoka, fully expecting that I didn't know it. I surprised him by saying I would give it a go. With considerable performance anxiety, I chanted the rules in a fairly decent style and Lung Po heaped praise on me. Getting so much praise from Lung Po was no small thing and my heart swelled with happiness and pride at the honour and attention I'd been given. A fortnight later, Lung Po commanded me to chant again. This felt a bit strange because it was not a request, but I thought I'd be able to show off my stuff once again. Nervous as always, I set forth with the introductory chant, but within a few stanzas, Lung Po was tugging at my outer robe and telling the monk beside him that this fellow who's chanting stinks. He said, doesn't he wash his robes? My powers of concentration were limited at the best of times, and this interruption was quite upsetting. I lost my focus, made some errors, regained my focus and started again. For the next hour, Lung Po continued to interrupt my concentration again and again. Each time, I became more confused or angry and had an extremely difficult time finishing the recitation. I can't remember if the other monks were chuckling to themselves, but it was obvious that Lung Po was offering a very direct and difficult teaching. You like praise and success, but when you're blamed and fail, you suffer. Go beyond praise and blame to be free from suffering. A Natural Perfume 
Lung Po soon realized that humor was amongst the most effective tools he had at his disposal for teaching his Western disciples. It allowed him to point out their mental defilements in a way that they did not find oppressive or fill them with self-aversion. Encouraging them to see the humorous side of their frustrations, irritations and anger, he showed them how to laugh at themselves and so let go of identification with their foibles. But he did not do this by cracking jokes for cheap laughs. Instead, he pointed out the absurdity of their cravings, regaled them with outlandish analogies, enacted hilarious anecdotes. Monks might not always laugh out loud at his sallies, but it was hard for them to keep a straight face when he was in such a mood. Venerable Varapanyo remembers one teaching given to an American monk called Gary that became something of a legend. Gary had a girlfriend back home and thought that he might want to go back and marry her someday. He had entered monastic life without a sense of long-term commitment. Then, the Dear John letter came. She'd married someone else. I wasn't there at the time, but others said Gary was pretty upset. One day, someone mentioned it to Lung Po. With his merciless compassion, he advised Gary to write to the woman and ask her to send him a vial with some of her shit in it. Then, whenever he thought of her with longing, he should open up the vial and smell it. On another occasion, a rumor spread that communists were putting some chemical in the noodles that made penises shrivel up. Lumpur advised the monks that if they noticed their penis starting to shrink, then they should tie a big knot in it so that it wouldn't disappear completely. Words Lung Po shared with many people of his culture a love of language and wordplay. His Dhamma talks were often studded with puns and unorthodox usage. So it was with real delight that he observed the misadventures of his Western disciples in their efforts to learn the tonal Thai language. Gaffes were frequent because although Thai grammar is straightforward, the tones are a minefield. The word lek, for example, produced in a high tone means little and with a low tone, Iron. One day Lung Po told a young Australian monk to go and fetch the monk who lived in the hut with the iron door. When the monk returned many minutes later, unsuccessful in his search, he was confused by a gale of laughter when he told Lung Po that all the kuti doors seemed to be the same size. The more embarrassing mispronunciations would enter monastery folklore. Of these, the most notorious occurred when a monk advising Lung Po not to visit the West in December, thought he had given the reason that there would be a lot of snow around at that time of year. What he had actually said, and in the crudest of terms, was that it wouldn't be a good idea to go right then, given the seasonal profusion of dog vaginas. When teaching his Western disciples, Lung Po took their varying language skills into account. Apart from the formal translated Dhamma talks that he delivered, he often gave short teachings couched in very simple phrases to prevent misunderstanding. The exhortations to endure, otton, and to let go, bloi wang, were soon known to everyone. He used easily grasped metaphors and similes. You're like someone who wants a duck to be a chicken, he might say. Often his words would be unexpected, apparently off the cuff, and the recipient might walk away thinking, did he just say what I think he said? What thing is this mind? He once asked rhetorically. 
no thing at all. Bugbears A recurring debate in the transmission of Buddhism to the West has been over the extent to which the Dhamma can or should be separated from the cultural context or trappings in which it has been transmitted over the centuries. A Buddhism tailored to the West, untied to Asian customs, has been a goal for many pioneers. But for the Westerners who made their way to Wat Bapong, submitting themselves to monastic training implied an acceptance of the whole Thai Buddhist package. For some monks, adapting to the Thai style of doing things could be irksome. But that's not in the Vinaya, it's just a Thai custom, was a common grouse of monks admonished for a faux pas such as using a head pillow as a sitting cushion. Few of the Thai monks made any distinction between those parts of monastic custom traceable to the Buddha's time and those of more recent and local provenance. A Western monk showing disrespect for any one facet of the training could be seen as looking down on the whole thing. Lung Po exhorted the Western monks to be humble, respectful and observant in the face of things unfamiliar to them and to let go of attachments to their old ways. A bugbear for a number of Western monks was having to participate in ceremonies that seemed to owe as much to Brahminism as to the pure Buddhism they had expected to find in a forest monastery. Although Lung Po would not cater to the superstitious beliefs of the local people, neither was he a fundamentalist, and he was willing to perform one or two of the more benign local ceremonies as a way to draw people towards the Dhamma. Ajahn Santachito, one of those who arrived at Wat Pong looking for a meditation teacher to instruct him in Vipassana, received a rude shock on his first day. After the meal, a small group of village folk spread a white cloth over their heads. The monks all around me started chanting, and Lung Po began dripping melted candle wax into a bowl of water. After the chanting was over, he sprinkled this holy water over the heads of the now uncovered villagers. I was shocked by what seemed to me to be out-and-out -out superstition. But then my eyes caught Lung Po's. To my surprise, he had a mischievous grin on his face, like a young lad having a grand old time, I was completely disarmed. But the real point hit home after the ritual finished and he gave a Dhamma talk, when I noticed how attentively the villagers sat listening. Kickstart If a monk felt he had been singled out to receive a particular teaching, it left an especially deep impression. This happened to Ajahn Nyanadamo during his first rains retreat at Wat Bapong. At that time, a more senior monk would often seek to engage him in conversation during their return to the monastery after the daily alms round. As they walked along, this monk would expound on the faults of various monks and spout what seemed an endless stream of complaints. Ajahn Nyanadamo found the monk conceited and hypocritical, but being junior to him, felt unable to rebuff him politely. By the end of one of these walks, he would arrive back at the monastery, feeling annoyed and out of sorts. But one day, as he passed Lung Po Cha's Guti reviewing all the faults of this fault-finding monk, his sour mood dissolved in an instant. A broadly smiling Lung Po, practicing his English, looked out and wished him a hearty good morning. That evening, 
Ajanyanadhamma went to Lungpur's kuti to offer him a foot massage. When the bell sounded for evening chanting and monks started to leave the kuti, Lungpur told him to continue the massage and asked someone else to extinguish the candles. Ajanyanadhamma recounts, The moon was coming up and I was listening to the monks chanting. As I massaged his feet, Lung Po sat there silently in the darkness meditating. It was really inspiring. And then, suddenly, he lifted up his foot and kicked me in the chest. I fell back on the floor. He pointed at me and said, There, one person says something that you don't like and you get upset. Somebody else just says, Good morning and you're happy all day. Don't follow your moods. Don't be attached to other people's words. You can go. Lung Po was habitually reticent on the subject of psychic powers, and there are few occasions in which he was clearly seen to demonstrate them. But one such occasion did occur when a certain Australian monk received a letter from home informing him of his father's death and asking him if he could come back for a visit. This monk's energy and short temper had earned him the nickname amongst the Thai monks of Venerable High Octane, and he was a fiercely intelligent man who considered those who disagreed with his often rather cynical views to be guilty of wishful thinking and unable to face up to the hard truths of life. Although he had great respect for Lung Po, he could be withering about anyone he perceived to be putting their teacher on too high a pedestal. Belief that Lung Po had psychic powers was to him a good example of the woolly-mindedness that he found so annoying. When the monk arrived at Lung Po's kuti, letter in hand, in order to ask for guidance, Lung Po was talking to some other monks, and so he sat down to wait. After a while, Lung Po turned to him and said, What would you do if your mother wrote you a letter and invited you to return home for a visit? Could you handle it? The monk was completely taken aback. He hadn't mentioned the matter to anyone. He realized that Lung Po was asking if he was confident that he could sustain his practice of the Vinaya outside of the supportive surroundings of the monastery. I'll try, he replied. Lung Po said, You can go if you want. The Smell in Your Bag Venerable Aranyapo was another monk with an overly critical mind. After returning from a branch monastery with a familiar litany of complaints, Lung Po said to him, Aranyapo, you've got dog shit in your shoulder bag. Do you realize that? Everywhere you go, you sit down and there's a bad smell. So you think, Ugh, this place is no good. And you pick up your shoulder bag and go off somewhere else. You sit down and there's the bad smell again. And so you get up once more. Taking your shoulder bag with you, you never realize that the smell is coming from the dog shit in your shoulder bag, and so you carry it with you wherever you go. It was a variation on one of Lung Po's favorite teaching stories, the mangy dog who blames wherever he sits down for the itching that torments him. Venerable Aranyapo listened to this blunt admonishment with a face that was presumably more sheepish than canine. Venerable Varapanyo commented, there was never any bad feeling when he talked to people like this, because we knew it came from a pure, loving heart. He was offering us 
right then and there, a clear and simple solution to our problems, one which he had obviously practiced. His words and his whole being simply said, "Let go now." 